This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Here he is. Guess uh, who's back? Back again. Nathaniel Metcalf. That's right. That's who's back. He's back. Yes. Um, is that another new voice, Natalie? Hmm. No. It always sounds funny whenever I hear the new, uh, the new idents. But I guess it's not a new ident. It's, it's probably a classic ident. Um, vintage ident. Vintage. Um, do you know what? I will leave my phone on, but could you just plug it in? Absolutely. Uh, this is all a uh, bit of administerial work. Um, just as uh, we set up the show uh, to give you another five-star fan club. Have we got any uh, reviews this week? Nothing. Not a sausage, uh, which is a shame because I always prefer it when uh, people send us a sausage. <laughs> yes, come on, come on, guys! It's Friday and it's August, and we're all having fun. And if we're not at the festival, then we're probably outside in a park playing uh, frisbee, Aerobee. or, or air airsoft balls. Uh, so we're all enjoying our lives, and that is, and I can't stress this enough, the main thing. So wherever you have to, you're listening to Fan Club, first rule of Fan Club is tell your friends about Fan Club. Second rule of Fan Club, please, for the love of God, tell, your, tell friends. your friends to listen to Fan Club and then, you know, if they so choose, write a five-star review. But if they don't choose to do that, mm-hmm. that's, all right, that's, that's all right too. But, but if, they, if they've got... Do you know what? If you're busy as well, you could always write your five-star review before you've listened. Or write it on your phone. You've definitely Save got a time. phone, right? When you're on a bus and you're going somewhere else, you know, just get your phone out and just you could do it there. But if you're not going to give us a five-star review and you're going to give us one of them ironic low-star reviews, mm. then why don't you just keep your cunt opinions to yourself, you fuck? Uh, but uh, oh. but if you do have... Uh, if you do have, uh, you know, the time to give us a five-stars, you know, Lovely. <laughs> Great. It's, it's, it's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of your time. No. It's um, being true to yourself, isn't it? Being true to yourself, being true to myself, being true to Nathaniel Metcalf self. Yeah. Um, and the whole team, really. So I don't know what I'm talking about. So um, uh, we've got Natalie back this week. Natalie, but Natalie's back this week. Or uh, well, you only have summer holidays for the last episode. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, Natalie is going to be away next week, depending on where we put the shows. So sure. Pre- this is a pre-record. It's obviously July. Uh, we're all very tired and stressed and angry at ourselves for agreeing <laughs> to have done Edinburgh. And this is the second, third, coming into the third hour of back-to-back pre-record so that you do not miss out on um, the high standards of entertainment that we have become uh, you know, uh, um, synonymous with. Hmm. Synonymous. Um so, what have you been a fan of this week, Nathaniel? I'll tell you what, after we were talking about it the other week, after I saw the, the latest Spider-Man film, mm. I watched the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film again. Oh, yeah. thought it was great. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. I'd like to see the second one now. Yeah. Well, you it's, can do. You don't have to wait uh, three years like you did back then. Was it three <laughs> years or two years? Oh. I don't know. I was wondering that. Should have looked it up. Uh, blockbusters uh, used to be like, uh, sequels used to take three years, didn't they? Mm. And then... Um, 
now it's just one year. But Back to the Future 3, between the distance between 2 and 3 was like six oh, months, nothing, wasn't it? Nothing. But you had five years, didn't you, between 1 and 2? I think it was 4. Was it 4? So 89, 89, yeah, 89. And, 89. Oh, yeah, right. and then I think maybe, uh, uh, what was... Didn't Back to the Future 3 come out at winter? Or did it come out a year later? I think it came out... I have a funny feeling Back to the Future 2 was a Christmas release... And Back to Future 3 was a summer release. Do you know what? I think you're right. Because Back to the Future 2 was out around the same time as uh, Who Friend Roger Rabbit, wasn't it? No, it was Robert Zemeckis, so it must have come out a bit later. But, um, uh, or maybe he did Is Who Friend Roger Rabbit in between. He did 88 and then he did Back to the Future 2 and 3 back to back. Yes. So maybe uh, Back to the Future 2. I remember uh, driving home from Back to the Future 2 and it was dark out. Driving home for Christmas. Was it that? It was that. But, but I, I remember it was dark out, so it wouldn't have been summer because it would have been light out. Back to the Future 3. I think Back to the Future 2 was going to be called um, Back to Back, I think, at the time. What? I think, remember, it. the 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 working title for it was going to be called Back to Back. Back to the Future 2? Yeah. I don't know if that even makes sense. I always wonder, what does that mean? Back to the Future 3 came out in May 1990. That makes sense. Yeah. I reckon we're talking a Christmas. So I reckon Back to the Future 2 was like around Fall. October or November. Fall 89. Mm. But um, it's taken quite a long time to dredge that information <laughs> up. So we're just filling that. November. November 89. Yeah, right. We know our shit. We know what we're fucking talking about. God, we do. And do you know what? It's scary in a way. <laughs> It's, uh, but no, but it's just logic as well. It's just yeah, taking yeah. a moment to just think logically about yeah. it. If they were filmed back to back, it wouldn't have been a year's dis- distance. No. It, they came out very quickly. I like that. But uh, same can't be said about the Spider-Man. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Is that, what, is that a thing? Spider-Man. Spider-Man I just, is a I thing, I said yeah. it, and when I said it, I felt like I was making it up. <laughs> what did you uh, What you like about it? I really liked about it. It's it's very obvious that the sort of big thing it's basing it on is the Tim Burton Batman. So it feels like that's how they've kind of written the script, and it feels very Tim Burton Batman-y. Like that's Does the it? that's the kind of archetype of what a superhero film is in in the year two thousand two thousand two two thousand two. Then I think Spider Man two was two thousand four, so I think it was two years between. Um, so, so hang on a minute. It feels like it feels almost like that's the basis for it. It feels quite kind of quite similar in sort of tone and uh, and sort of story beats to uh, Batman. Does it? Yeah, like just things of like how you've gone because it, it has a lot to get through. So it does all the kind of origin of Spider Man, origin of Green Goblin, and it sort of packs a lot into. And the, the whole Spider-Man thing, he has to do all the bits that you think you might gloss over, like he's a wrestler. He's, uh, it does it all. And it does all the... <laughs> but they don't do that in Tim Burton's Batman. Tim Burton's Batman is a Joker origin. It's not a Batman origin. Uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. yeah. He's it already feels very... Batman. He's already Batman. He's maybe at the beginning of his career, but he's... Uh... It feels very Tim Burton batman type thing it well, Danny Elfman does the score yeah. but it's not a very Danny Elfman score it's not like a score that really stands out oh I thought the score or even sounds like Batman it's Do got you? that yeah I'm so unimpressed with the Spider-Man score when it first came out I was, just, I was very excited that Danny Elfman was doing it but not from not, not what it ended up sounding like and I really liked it I mean it's, it's almost like 
the, the sort of quibbles all feel minor and it's really melodramatic I can't imagine I can't picture the score in my head is what I mean and I can picture the Dark Man score and I can picture the Army of Darkness score and obviously the Batman score like Danny Elfman's done some really good stuff and then with Spider-Man you kind of like go no can't can't even and that should be like iconic mm. because you know obviously Superman and Batman were huge iconic uh, fanfares and then Spider-Man is like no I don't couldn't, couldn't hum it to you no I couldn't I remember I was hearing it the other day going a bit like Batman but not with the you know Big with the hook yeah 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 I think it's sort of general uh a bit of general that Batman score when they when they heard first heard the Batman score they must have fucking gone yeah this is it gone mental because I think that that becomes a Batman theme doesn't it like it's like a it's just I just associate it you can't hmm. when it, when they don't play it it mean it does a lot of the heavy lifting to introduce sure. who Batman is well I felt that weird like things like Man of Steel where, you, where it's like you can't not have this. Superman music almost seemed like part of it to me like Oh, it just feels a bit like what's this? What's this dirge? Well, when Danny Elfman <laughs> came along and did the man uh, did the Justice League score. Oh yeah, he put in uh, when Superman shows up. They, well, when Batman shows up at the beginning, they put in the, the Batman theme. Mm. Like, but it's so mixed in. It's so in the mix that you can hear it without realizing it's there. And um, as you said, what's the point? Yeah, because I think just go for it. Like. Um, there's like everyone's already like not really bought into this um, franchise already. So stuff like that could only help, couldn't it, to make you go, oh yeah, Batman. But then they do the Superman theme later on when Superman turns up, and um, it is a bit like fan service. Just like maybe this will make them like it. <laughs> um, but at least try. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but William Defoe is really good, isn't he? Tremendous, and and the whole thing's really melodramatic, and I think that's really like, do you know, like, well, it's it, heightened, it's heightened, and it's it made me think about how everything's like sort of, and I, th- I think especially like comparing it to like the new Spider-Man movies, the Marvel movies, is that they're a bit too cool for school <laughs> in a way, and they are a bit sort of distant, whereas this really goes for it, and Toby really McGuire is so isn't. sort of. Mm, Toby Maguire isn't cool. There's nothing cool about Toby Maguire. No. But what I do think, though, is that there's this huge um, difference between... I, it's almost like Peter Parker and Spider-Man are different people. Hmm. As soon as he puts a costume on, he starts doing sort of like one-liners and calling the Green Goblin Gobby. Hey, Gobby. And then he kind of like go... That doesn't feel like the the same yeah. character that's P- Peter Parker. I mean, he's like a, he's got a completely different personality. Mm. Um, and I would say that I think that uh, Tom, um, oh, what's his name? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Um, I think that the I think that's a really good yeah. Thing. And I also thought that Andrew Garfield did a really good job of being Spider Man. Mm. You know. Uh, Peter Parker was kind of like, oh, he's a surf, uh, he's a he's a skateboarding kid, who's like actually pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't hate the Andrew Garfield films. Um, I'm tempted to watch them as well. I just um, I saw the second one first at the cinema, and I actually and and that is the one that everyone goes, oh my god, it is a little bit uh, Superman three, you know, where 
Jamie Foxx is playing this huge cartoon character and you get uh, like it's this ridiculous cartoon character that doesn't oh it's maybe it's a little bit people compared it to Batman and Robin I think when it came out and you go it's not actually that far fetched but it is very cartoony um, uh, but the problem I think with the second of the Andrew Garfield ones was was more that it was Sony going with this film we're going to try and launch about four different franchises Sure, and you got, and it was like, and it was fine. It just became. I think it was just because people felt like we can see what you're doing, so it's almost like it felt too like a bit too like money oriented. Do you know what I mean? It felt like it's like, and that's going to be a film, and this character's going to be a film, and this one, it's like every five minutes, it's like, hi, I'm this person, and you go, right, okay. I thought it was a bit weird that they didn't really deal with the original Green Goblin. Uh, like how, uh, uh, what's his name? Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn as uh, dies right in like the first ten minutes, and it's played by uh, Chris Cooper. Like it's like a legitimate, uh, yeah. legitimately like fairly big actor. Thank you. Um, legitimately like big actor, and um, and he's sort of like killed off, and and then at the end they kind of allude to it, the Sinister Six coming. Yeah, yeah. Along. And I would have really liked to have seen that. Yeah. Thought that was exciting. Um, obviously, it's not a film that I've rewatched. I don't love it, but I didn't think that there was... I didn't think the amazing... I thought Andrew Garfield was great. I thought Emma Stone was... I love Emma Stone. Mm, I do. Um, um, so I thought she was brilliant. Um, I just... Yeah, and I thought Martin Sheen and Sally Field were really good, well cast. Mm. Um it just felt like they were doing kind of like they weren't they weren't doing the classic Spider-Man story because that had already just been done. Mm. So they were doing kind of like this is this is like not quite Elseworlds, but this well, is no, like a I different thought... a different spin, different spin of the web. Yes, uh, the, the the Amazing Spider-Man Mark film Webb. was trying to. <laughs> well, that was his name, wasn't it? The director, Mark Webb. It was too. Yeah, Five Hundred Days of Summer, and then yeah. went, he's called Webb. Spider-Man. Which I to do a Spider-Man. <laughs> it's perfect. The, the, I think that was a bit of a cursed production, and I think they did a good job with what it was. The reviews write themselves. If we get Mark Webb to direct Spider Man, and the reviews came out, and they were like, Mark, my words, this film is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because they couldn't, it felt like the, the job of that film was to do a Spider Man, essentially a remake of a film that had had come out Is like it the amazing spider-man yeah the amazing spider-man would be like how can we basically make the same film again but different so it sort of had to incorporate and i could see you could see all the kind of difficulties that they were up against where they were just having to recast and it's like well it won't be mary jane we'll have gwen stacy uh and it won't be and what we'll do we'll allude to this thing about peter parker's parents which was in the comics, but done almost like it was like a, an abandoned idea in the comics, and they kind of abandoned it in the film as well. Like yeah. that, maybe they've got some sort of secret. The idea was, I think, for a time that they were going to be like spies or shield agents or something. Were they like geneticists or something? Mm. In that, uh, Peter Parker, the radioactive spider, woke something up in his DNA as opposed to infected him. Mm. Um, so there's all that, and you can see that they were trying to. Like they're desperately wanting to do something different with it, but they there was only so much you could kind of veer away from what had already just been done, and it was just so soon. I think after the Raimi ones that it, it, it sort of um, that it you know by trying to do something different, 
you can only go so far without repeating yourself. People were upset. People were upset that they didn't get a Spider-Man 4. Mm. They wanted a Sam Raimi Spider-Man 4. Sam Raimi wanted to do Spider-Man 4. I think it was like John Malkovich was meant to be the Vulture or something like that. Oh, I didn't know that. And then... Um, uh, God, he's got a triple-barreled name. He was the lizard in all three of the films. And then... Um, mm. I'm so tired. My I thought Ted Raimi was a lizard in... No, he's, the, he's Dr. Connors, isn't he? Yeah, Kurt Connors. So he's... Uh, he's the Who guy who's the paedophile in Happiness. You know? Oh, I know who you mean. Dylan Baker. D- Dylan Baker Hall. Dylan Baker Hall. So he was. Um, so he played the lizard in all three of the Sam Raimi films, and in the fourth one, he was going to p- become the lizard, but he played Kirk Connors in the. Um, just Dylan Baker, no oh. Hall. Okay. So who's Dylan Baker Hall then? <laughs> Who's Dylan Baker Hall? Kevin Bacon. Kevin Baker Hall is okay. um, the predator, isn't he? That's. Oh, he's also uh, Bigfoot and the Hendersons, isn't he? Yes. Uh, God. Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. Maybe that's yeah. it. Um, I'm not thinking of Philip Baker Hall. I don't know who that is. Um, oh, you're right. Okay. Because I, I always much preferred the. Um, because of the the Raimi Spider Man's, but you not know that he's in the he's in the one that you just watched. Well, he gets referenced in it at one point, but and I, I he's like, oh, I was working with. Well, maybe he only appears in the second one. Philip Baker Hall. That's what I'm. Okay, I get Philip from, Baker yeah. Hall mixed up with uh, Dylan Baker. Yes, yeah. But they all they're, they're both in Happiness, aren't they? Isn't he in Happiness as well? Is he in Happiness? He's in he's in all the um, uh, Paul Tom Anderson films, isn't he? He's that fella. Yes, uh, yeah, P.T. Anderson. Uh, That's been mistaken for Paul Anderson. None of those best. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I felt like the because the Sam Raimi ones feel very classic-y, don't they? And and I think when as soon as it, they start, the th- the problem with the third one, I think, is like you shouldn't have done Venom at all because it's not. It's not part of that era. It's more a modern... We didn't want to. No. But they forced him to do it. I think he was going to be chameleon, I think, in... Well, uh, he, was, he wanted to make a Sandman movie. Mm. Fine. And then he obviously wanted to, like, finish off the Harry Osborne thing. Mm. And then they were like, you have to put Venom in. I don't know anything about Venom. I mean, the Venom solo film should have been a lot better as well. I don't give a shit, particularly. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't think it would be that... I mean, yeah, there's the bit when Peter Parker goes all goth. Yeah. Emo. And um, and everyone's like, oh, my God, that's, that's the most cringy. And it's, I it, think that bit's fine. It is meant to be cringy. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's, it's meant to be cringy. It's like Peter Parker, his idea of what it is to be mean and tough is to go all emo and yeah. click his fingers and... Uh, do Saturday Night Fever and do dancing and stuff like that. That's um, that first half is all right. It's the sort of it's the second half that goes rubbish. I think. I do think Spider Man Three is all rubbish. No, I think I think there was about an hour of it where I was like, I'm all right with all this, and then it was like, then it has a weird sea change. Uh, the Amazing Spider Man Two with uh, Paul Giamatti bookending it mm. as the Rhino. Uh, that's weird. Don't you think? Well, I think again that's sort of setting up the Sinister Six, isn't it? And having like, but uh, he's yeah, sure. But he's kind of like uh, he's sort of like Sam Raimi era casting. Do you know what I mean? He would have yes, he would have yeah, been yeah. perfect in a Sam Raimi film, yeah. probably because um, 
You've already had uh, Thomas Hayden Church yeah. from Sideways. Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, from Sideways as the Sandman, and then the other guy from Sideways appears in the other Spider-Man franchise two films later. I don't know. I guess they're all kind of like, it's the whole thing, like, let's hire actual actors rather than mm. um, uh, action movie bad guys or whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of... I think that was always a good sort of solid choice i think and i feel it's sort of different from what they did in the batman franchise isn't it where it was like stars we want stars to be there yeah the baddies. oh yeah we get a character which actors. again was probably like um came from the 60s batman show right Maybe. where it's just like um, i mean frank langella was skeletor they're kind of like this is like a history of like mm. let's actually get a guy that can if you're going to get uh you know a dolph lundgren or an arnold schwarzenegger type and try and get a legitimate actor to go opposite them to give yeah. it a little bit of gravitas. Yeah, makes sense. You know, Sam Wanamaker's in Raw Deal. Mm. He uh, is the guy that put all the money up for the globe to get rebuilt. So. Maybe that was some Raw Deal money. No. Oh. He, must have, he must have come up with quite a... No, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah, I sort of... I, I thought the design of the Rhino in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 wasn't very good. And Yeah, it's not very... I, I just think it's an odd film, but I would have I would have liked to have seen... No, I don't I don't care. I mean, they, I saw two, then they decided... What, the reason why it got cancelled, though, was something like... Um, uh, Andrew Garfield was... Had, didn't he go to Japan and he had to go and meet a load of financiers and uh, then he was not very well and so he didn't so he said he cancelled and he didn't meet up with them and then they said fuck you you're not Spider-Man anymore oh really and then it was just like then it was over and then um, also everyone hated it and then they were like right we're going to just um, hand it over oh we've tried twice and we fucked it up twice so you know let's see if Marvel know what they're doing and then that was when they sort of mm. like tried to get back in with Marvel um, I was really surprised that Spider-Man went to Marvel, that they allowed that. Well, I guess if they did it w- w- knowing that that was the kind of in thing and they could just make more money by letting them make their film for them. Yeah, well, they, they, I mean, yeah, they, get, um, they own the rights, so they rent out the character yeah. to Marvel and then they don't actually have to make the film, but they get their name all over it and they get half the money mm. without doing anything. But um, I think they should all do that. But I don't care enough. I don't care enough. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. So on the on a similar to- topic, I watched. Uh, st- I was watching Street Fighter last night. <coughs> Sorry, Nick. What have you been a fan of this week? I was watching Street Fighter. Street last Fighter. Night, okay. Which is another one. You got Jean Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. but then he's acting opposite Raoul Huria. Yes. And um, I think the biggest problem with Street Fighter, which is uh, universally lambasted I might never have seen it I'll tell you what there's a weird joke at the beginning where um, uh, it's a globe like the universal globe and then the Street Fighter logo goes over it yeah but it's a TriStar Columbia movie so you have like the TriStar Columbia logo yeah and then you have a globe like the universal globe and then the Street Fighter and you go was this film ever universal? Because if it was universal, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. So they were doing kind of like an Indiana Jones, Paramount logo at fade. But with this, it's kind of like, no, it's, it was universal. And <laughs> it was um, uh, Tristar. Tristar. Yeah, Columbia Tristar. So 
that was odd. Um, I actually really enjoyed it, which is weird. I hated it at the cinema. I think the biggest problem f- from it is that um, there's not a lot of street fighting. <laughs> it's like they've they, they've overcomplicated it by making it into like um, it's about an international global terrorist and um, uh, and uh, it's called the AN. It's not the UN. And um, Jean Claude Van Damme is playing an American soldier who's clearly from Belgium. Uh, and he's got like weird bleached hair, but it's bleached orange as opposed to blonde. Like the and he doesn't really look a lot like. Yeah. Um, I think when we were when we were kids, we all had like our dream casting of who would be in the Street Fighter Two movie, and uh, they didn't get any of them. Um, and it's yeah, but I actually just like now that the pain has the scars have healed. Uh, you can watch Street Fighter based on the Capcom game Street Fighter Two. Uh, you can watch it, and oh, and um, uh, uh, Orlando Jones is in it. Oh yeah, um, Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue is in it. Uh, the uh, uh, um, Kip Kip Shrek from uh, Batman Returns is in it. Um, uh, he's Zangief. It's like it's got an amazing car. Oh fucking, um, fucking! What's his fucking called? Uh, Simon Callow is in it. Is he? Simon Callow turns <laughs> up as as uh, as a guy that's basically telling Jean Claude Van Damme that they have to pull out of uh, the city, and um, or they're going to pay off. They're going to they're going to pay the ransom demands of uh, M Bison. Is it Ming Na Wen from ER? Is she in it? Um, same Maybe recall. what is Chen, yes. Chen Li? Yes. Um, yeah, I thought she looked familiar. Um, there was, uh, yeah, it's got like this incredible cast. It's really, it isn't very good compared to the, you know, compared to based on. It was like what the second uh, comic book, uh, second video game adaptation after Super Mario Brothers. Mm. Um, and you just think, well, what it should have been is it should have been very much like um, a fight tournament. Mm. With all of the characters, yeah. and um, and Joker Van Damme should have been in it. He was great, but like like aesthetically, but he shouldn't have been the American guy. Mm. I don't know who they should have cast, but he didn't look like him. Well, and it is a very odd choice. I remember at the time it being an odd choice because it is it was a game that was sort of set up as this is this person from this country and this is this person from this country. Yeah, and so it would sort of seem an odd thing to have. Well, there's the American character who you understand in an American movie is going to be the lead, yeah. and then not to cast an American to play that. But also, I always thought that it's a bit like the X Men thing. I always felt like the lead was Ryu and mm. Ken, mm. and Guile was kind of like the cool sidekick. A bit like, um, what's his chops? Uh, Gambit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not the lead, is he? But he's like in, he's in the mix, he's the mm. cool guy. Um, and then with the X-Men movies, they were going, right, Cyclops is a joke, and he just gets the piss taken out of him, even though he's the leader, but we, we don't, you know. He's like a kind of boring leader. Uh, and I, oh, I really didn't like that. I've, I always liked Cyclops. I read a thing recently. I mean, I have a feeling you might even have told me about it. There was about the making of Street Fighter. Right. I read a sort of article about it, and it sounds like it was one of those sort of very doomed productions of... Lots of money being kind of. I think it was at the height of Jean-Claude Van Damme's cocaine addiction. That's, that was that's one of the big problems with it. And he was, uh, yeah, wasn't he just in his trailer doing coke and fucking fucking groupies yeah. and stuff? 
and uh, come out and do his bits and then go, go back in and uh, Raul Julia I think was really suffering oh he was ill I mean he, this was his last film yeah his he last did it because his kids uh, loved the game and everyone on set was apparently like god he's such a nice guy and he's really like obviously in like tremendous pain and yeah. on painkillers to get through and it and he's in a padded costume to make him look bigger and was but was really like um, and was like totally in super last, professional in the last stages of dying from cancer yeah but making Street Fighter yeah. he's really good in it as well there's that there's a, like, it's really weird there's that speech which is kind of like Chun-Li kind of confronts him and then he does this whole speech about kind of, for you it was the greatest day in your life for me it was Tuesday you know the day that M. Bison invaded your mm. your town and, uh, and your village the day that M. Bison invaded your village and killed everyone it was the greatest day of your life for me it was Tuesday um that speech considering it's such a shit film and that it's you know that has stuck with me for like some like almost 30 years mm. um, is it Stephen D'Souza directing or is it oh, writing maybe you think that's I think that's maybe the thing um, yeah there's loads of people that pop up in like, action films and stuff the, um, the standards uh, it's um, yeah right so I I just it's, it's weird seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme acting opposite Simon Callow It's. uh, I just, yeah, I just think that the the story is completely wrong. But there was a good. Oh, that was. There's a really funny uh, bit. It's sort of tongue in cheek. The whole film is tongue in cheek, and when you watch it like that, that it's tongue in cheek. But it's just uh, the tone is a little bit. The tone is probably all right. It's just the wrong story. But there's a really good bit when there's Ryu and Ken, and they're infiltrating um, the uh, the the bad guys. And um, and they're kind of like they're best friends, Ryu and Ken. Or are they like half brothers? But there's Ryu and Ken, and they're like best mates, uh, and they do everything together. And there's a bit when they walk through like the bad guys' lair, and uh, Ken goes, "Damn it! I only saw half side, h- half of the map." And Ken's like, "Which side?" He goes, "I only caught the left side. That's all right." I caught the right. <laughs> so together they've seen the entire map. But uh, who only looks at ha- half of a map? Do you know who looks at the left side of a map? I don't know. But it's just like this really funny, like tongue-in-cheek thing where it's just kind of like they're uh, such best mates yeah. that they're in synchronisation with each other. I just think that stuff like that's really. It doesn't funny. feel like an A movie or a B movie. Oh, it's a B movie. It's and like, what was what would be? Well, no, it feels like it's got the budget of an A movie. This is right. like at the height of Jean Claude. That's what I mean. So what, what what are Van Damme's A movies? At what point was Van Damme sort of B movie and what point did he trip over into A movies? I think he did kind of like... Uh, Hard Target, Blood, I kind of think Blood of. Sport. There was Blood Sport and that Cyborg. That feels like a B movie. Yeah, though, they were right? like yeah, canon yeah. movies. Yeah. So, so Cyborg was originally Masters of the Universe 2. Canon made yeah. all of the sets and costumes for Masters of the Universe 2. And then they were like, oh, that's a flop. So rather than... Uh, scrap it they just rewrote a script uh, that incorporated all of the stuff they'd already built and they made Cyborg so Jean-Claude Van Damme had like a few canon movies in the uh, mid to late 80s and then I think Hard Target was 1993 and then Time Cop was 1994 Mm. interesting thing about Hard Target and Time Cop is they were both produced by Sam Raimi right so Sam Raimi was a big Jean Woo fan 
And Sam Raimi is the guy that got John Woo over to America to make his first film, Hard Target. Right. And then Time Cop got made into a TV series, which Bruce Campbell uh, uh, guest starred on. So it's really weird that in Sam Raimi, I just thought, what's that story? There was also, do you remember Time Tracks? No. Time Tracks was a TV series. And it was basically looked like a Time Cop TV series. It's like they'd use the same sets. Right. But like it was like... It's Time Cop, right? But it wasn't. It was just so. It was so similar, and it came out like within a year of Time Cop, that it all felt like, how is this not Time Cop? It was like they're using the same sets and everything. It all looked kind of so, so similar. Yeah. Um, no, I don't remember that at all. There was um, time tracks. Oh, but of course, then he did. He did. Um, so I would say that the bridge between uh, Bloodsport and Cyborg and uh, um, uh, Kickboxer mm-hmm. would be films like Universal Soldier. Yes. yes then yes. there's Universal Soldier, and what was the other one? Uh, uh, it's not Double Team. It was uh, Double Impact. Yes. Where he played twins, and then from that. It, he sort of like went into the big leagues where he kind yeah. of did um, stri- what were the ones we just mentioned Street Fighter uh, Hard Target Hard Target and when he was actually working with auteurs mm. that we could do something and then I think the beginning and the end of all of that was Saturn Impact mm. uh, and was that that was a, was that another like Hong Kong director wasn't it Sudden Death sorry Sudden, Sudden Death, Death um, which was his Die Hard movie was that so there was Seagal did Under Siege, uh, Stallone did Cliffhanger. I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger ever did one. No. But, um, Schwarzenegger but he was, was never really chasing, that. yeah, he was never really chasing any of that stuff though, was he? He was always, yeah, he was above it. He was like, uh, he was always sort of uh, doing his own thing. And I think by the, even Anna Nicole Smith did a Die Hard movie, uh, Skyscraper, arguably better. It's like, it's like Die Hard in a Skyscraper. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> die out with tits it's um but then there was um uh yeah so by the time he did sudden death Jean-Claude Van Damme did sudden death I mean I think it was sort of a, that had played out that genre had played out it was no one was really that interested mm. but um I think I've, I've mentioned this before but uh I remember there being a big thing in 1996 there was a big thing in Empire about um, previewing all the kind of big action movies and it was things like Mission Impossible and uh, the Christian Slater Hard Rain and the Keanu Reeves what was that called? Oh, um, Morgan Freeman again uh, Chain Reaction Chain Reaction and there was this idea that it's like this is mad look at who these uh, the, these action films have cast these like actors. actors in action movies and what about what about your Stallones and your Schwarzeneggers? What? Why these guys? And like how they were like, well, these are sort of feel very untested, and these guys can't really carry action movies. And then you realise that that's just the future. That was the, you know, they'll just make stars into action movies. Well, action, action movies stars. make all the money. Yeah. So you got your yeah, Nicolas Cage making. Um, uh, what's that? Oh man, my brain. What's the one that he did about? Uh, he was in a, there's like a gang one where it's kind of like a real indie film. It's Kiss of Death? Kiss of Death. And uh, yeah, so he's making like these small, like little indie drama yeah. crime things. Then he makes The Rock and it's just like, oh, fuck it. I'll just do this because yeah. I get paid a lot more. 
and then he becomes like a bankable action star. Um, like even Con Air is kind of like a diehard on a plane yeah. type thing. But because I remember when Kiss of Death came out, um, Nicolas Cage was again like he was like the standout thing in that film, and everyone was like, "God, Nicolas Cage is great in this." And also, he's really beefed up because he's like in prison, isn't he? And he's um, weightlifting and things, and he has like really bulked up for it. Right. And so I think that might have just been the thing where he's in this. He's he's very good in a film where suddenly he looks ripped, and people are like, "Oh yeah, just make him the right, yeah." The action star. Yeah. Well, it was... The, it I mean, even looks apart. I mean, it was basically uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger dominated the blockbusters, the action blockbusters, until about 95. And mm. then it was the end. With yeah. like True Lies was sort of like the... Last the hurrah last, of it, The yeah. last real good one. And then it just sort of like petered out. And then now it's just nostalgia. But, but really it ended in 95. Yeah. Or maybe 93. When... Last Action Hero, and then they had like one more stab at it, but that mm. was it. And I don't think Short, uh, I don't think Stallone made anything mm. as big as Demolition Man after that. Yeah, which was ninety three. And True Lies was such a big A movie, like it was such a Cameron and. Well, it's just uh, James. I mean, it was like James Cameron show. and Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. should have made like a, a load of films to, together. Um, would have carried on, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, if they liked each other that much, then they should have just done a couple more. But um, yeah. Anyway, a uh, song. Yeah. And then... Nick and Nat's Fan Club on Bar Radio. Of course, Time Tracks came out first in 1993 and Time Cop was 1994. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously TV production takes a little less time than film production. Um, so I imagine uh, there's something... Something, something amiss going on. Something's going on. Um, when was the movie Double Dragon released? I think it was 1995 Well, or now, now you're saying it, I think you're right. I think I'm way off. Because mm. I think it, the fact it's got Scott Wolf in it yeah. dates it, doesn't it? Yeah, it dates it badly. 1994. Was it really? 94. I remember it was advertised on comic books, the back of comic books. That's why so I So when was Street Fighter? Street Fighter was 93, was it? Oh, I think of that as being later as well. Yeah, but... Oof. It wasn't. I think that... Um, in what year? So it'd be about I, the same time as Super Hard Mario. Hard Target was... Um, uh, there was big posters for Hard Target at Universal Studios when I went to America. And I think I went to America in 93 because that's the Jurassic Park came out. So it would have kind of like been their big thing. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, what's the other thing? That, oh, I watched Train to uh, Busan. Oh, I've not seen that. Is that a zombies? Yeah. I watched that at the weekend. It's a Korean film. Korean film. You had, a Korean, you had some Korean food. I had enjoyed. some Korean food, which was incredible. And I watched The Train to Busan, which is a Korean horror movie. So it was a little bit like being in the movie, eating that food. Um, it was brilliant. If you're in the movie, you'd probably you be eating... Are you up, Street Fighter? You'd be eating human flesh. No, that was Double Dragon, you said. Double Dragon and Street Fighter both came out in 1994. There you go. Um, same year as Time Cop. Year so after what was Super Mario? 93? So, oh, Super Mario, I think, was 91. So 93? Fucking hell. Yeah. A lot came out. In the, I, do you know what? I must have gone to the cinema every weekend back then. Yeah. I remember going to the Barking Odeon to see Super Mario Brothers. And we got there, and there's a queue of people, and we started queuing up to go in. And did you just, just jump on their heads and uh, <laughs> hey. collect, collect the coins? And as we were in the queue... Off my face on mushrooms. My mate said, 
be asked to watch Super Mario Brothers. And I went, me either. We never saw it. Never seen it. <laughs> was there anything else that you watched instead? No, I remember it was like, just like going, Turn around forget and going it, home. forget it. And you've never seen it? Nah. Nah, it's rubbish. Um, anyway, so The Train to Busan, uh, that's incredible. What a film. I've not seen it. I'm telling you. It's but then you just film. stared at me like I was nothing. <laughs> I thought you were saying it like as if to go, yeah, like we were talking about. Um, uh, Train to Busan, uh, tell me about it. <laughs> It's, I, mean, I don't know a lot about it. Oh. It's it's on a train. I'm thinking of it's like is it like Horror Express? So, Have you ever did seen you see that? Snowpiercer? No, no. It's better than Snowpiercer. Okay. I did not enjoy Snowpiercer. What's Horror Express? Horror Express is a film with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Telly Savalas. Is that like the late night meat train? What's that called? Late night meat train. What's that? Runaway train? No, there's a runaway train. Oh, hang on, forget it. Tommy Cooper <laughs> film. <laughs> Bradley Cooper um, Bradley Cooper film uh, there's a film with Vinnie Jones in which was a remake of a, like an old Hammer film I thought oh is there I think so there can you, you look it up are you looking it up um, basically uh, there's a train that's going f- uh, to Busan to Busan and um, uh, there's also a zombie outbreak and that's happening to the whole world or is just happening it's on the happening, train? It's sort of like, it's kind of like, you know, it's like it's the early stages of a zombie outbreak. But it spreads, they're fast, they're fast zombies. So it spreads pretty quickly. And um, uh, someone gets on board the train that's infected. Yeah, Midnight Meat, meat Train. Midnight Meat Train. Uh, I think that was a remake of something else, of, the, of something. Wow. The most terrifying ride you'll ever take. Stuck on a train with Vinnie Jones. <laughs> it's funny that he's also he's starring in it, but he's blurred out. You know, you can tell it's him. Yeah, you think you, you can, can tell that's Vinnie Jones. He's a good silhouette, isn't he, Vinnie Jones? It's not the silhouette; it's that you can tell that he's got those. Um, but Bradley Cooper is the star. Midnight Meat Train. Oh, stars Bradley Cooper. When was this made? This must have been Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. Ted Raimi. 2008. So Bradley Cooper's done wedding crashes by then. But nothing. Had he? When was. Oh, fucking hell. Wedding crashes 2006, isn't it? Wow. Um, Yeah, it would feel. This film already looks not good enough for Bradley Cooper. (laughs) I mean, that's crazy. Have you seen it? Oh, it's good. Oh, uh, Oh, okay. Natalie's saying the Midnight Meat Train is good. Is it a remake? Can you just look that up? Um. Uh, what's the so what was I talking about a train to Busan it's incredible it's just like it's like really tense really the action is really great Um, uh, it's just um, it it makes logical sense in terms of the rules that they set up are kind of really good Uh, oh it's a Clive Barker book Um, yeah it's just kind of like they set up rules in the in the universe and then uh, it sort of pays off and they're on this train that's hurtling towards Busan, Busan. and they're trying to outrun, basically, the zombie apocalypse that's occurring very quickly on the outside of the train. And everywhere, the, the, all the train stops and all the cities that they go through are all getting infected. And so, basically, the safest place is on the train, but this train has also got a load of zombies that are infected on it that are basically uh, tr- 
So they've got to travel through carriages to get from one end of the train to the other end of the train. And it's just, like, really intense and great. And there's characters that you love that don't make it. And do you know what it was? It reminded me a lot of was the Poseidon Adventure. Right, that's what I was thinking of. Like yeah. The original Poseidon Adventure. Um, it was, yeah, I just, oh, it was brilliant. Um, uh, and I'd wanted to see it for a while, but on Saturday I was quite tired and I didn't really want to do subtitles. But then um, uh, I did, and it, it was worth it. Was worth it. it was, um, I've heard only good things about it. Oh, yeah, I've heard good things about it. How can you outrun an apocalypse? I don't understand the They're logic trying to get it. to... Um, the, uh, like a because, safe house. Because, the apoco- safe. because it's, it's, obviously there's a source of where it started. You know, mm. it started where the train was at the beginning, mm. and then the train takes off, and then before they realise it, there's um, there's an outbreak on board the train, which has come from outside the train, and then they realise that it's actually happening outside the train all over the country, and then uh, they're just like, right, well, if we can get to the next city, maybe that hasn't been infected yet, and then they're just travelling, but right. So they're trying to sort of like find a place that's safe that they can get off the train, but they can't. There's nowhere because it spreads so quickly. So they're trying to outrun it so that they can find somewhere safe to go. And Busan is um, a safe place right. where the train was going anyway. It's great. Just yeah, loved it. Um, yeah, couldn't recommend it enough. And then I saw the uh, remake of the thing. Oh yes, yes. So, um, oh, it's not really a remake. It is a prequel. It's meant to be the Norwegians, isn't it? Um, I don't think it is. I can't really remember about it. It's sort of, sort of like an international crew. There's the Americans. The Norwegians definitely... I mean, you know where it's... Well, I guess it's a Norwegian base, is it? Is no, it because I think at the end, the Norwegians... Maybe it's an, a Norwegian base. I think that they reference the Norwegian base somewhere else. And at the end, oh no, maybe it is the Norwegians. At the end, some Norwegians come in to check on them, and then um, it sets up. It goes di- sort of directly into. Mm. It ends where the thing the starts. Dog. The dog runs off, and then they get in a helicopter and chase the dog. So you know exactly where it's going to end. Um, it's it. 2011 it tells the story of a team of Norwegian and American scientists who discover a parasitic alien buried deep in the earth. So they do all of that stuff. I mean, it's kind of... I don't really mind uh, the updates that they do to special... Uh, to the, you know, you see the spaceship and all of that and you see them cutting out the ice. I'd like all of that stuff. I don't... didn't really have... It, it wasn't a bad film, is the thing. Um, uh, and also the CGI transformation scenes uh, aren't aren't great and it probably would have been called to see it practical but I think also um, the people the practical special effects have been a lost art really Hmm. and um, when you see the film it kind of makes sense that someone would have said let's CGI Hmm. it because it's a different film Yeah, the thing is kind of like everything happens off camera and you don't know who's infected in in the original and in the remake, the thing, which is confusingly titled the exact, is called. Yeah. I think that they should have called it. And another thing, <laughs> um, love that. I'm very proud of that. Things ain't are what they used to be. 
thing. Sure. It was like when they uh, used to do sequels spelt T double O. Yes, yes. Like Splash 2, like Splash yeah. as well. Teen Wolf also. Mm-hmm. A Nightmare on Elm Street as well. <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, but uh, so the thing, yeah, it's, um, so the re, so the, it's sort of a remake in the sense that it follows a lot of the same plot, but it's basically, uh, what else are you going to do if you're going to, didn't, it didn't need to be told, the story didn't need to be told. Uh, but um, it's not an awful film. But what it is is it's a de- very different beast. The, uh, the sorry, the John Carpenter original was uh, <laughs> you got I got to because I saw it right. The John Carpenter original was um, uh, uh, it was like a paranoid uh, th- yes. thriller, right? Where they're getting picked off one by one and you don't know who's infected. In this one, the monster comes out in public and picks people off and people see people getting picked off and they go right you know and it's kind of like it's it's like bold as brass right it's just kind of like um he sees the alien very early on um you know it's sort of hinted at but you see enough of it to kind of like go oh it's kind of like an arachnid type thing from uh like like the arachnids from starship troopers mm. it's got like claws and um uh, yeah, it's like a crab kind of monster, uh, which is kind of. Yeah, I suppose it's another thing, isn't it? It's like a kind of poison chalice of a film where you can either try and copy it or you can try and do something totally different. Well, so they do sort of the, they do both, but at no point are you in any doubt what it is. There's no mystery to it because they're not trying to. Do they don't use any of the same music or anything. Or um, they probably like do tribute music, but it's, it's a different score, which is fine. I, I'm not. I'm all up for watching a film. That's what I just think is so weird about the um, the Shining sequel that they've made. Hmm. They've made a Shining sequel, so they've made an adaptation of a Steve. So Stephen King wrote a book called The Shining. Stanley Kubrick made it into a film called The Shining that was based on the book but made a lot of changes Mm. Stephen King hated the film that Stanley Kubrick made so he he wrote a mini series in the late 90s that was designed to fix all of his problems with the Stanley Kubrick Mm. thing like like, Stanley Kubrick film isn't my Shining that's Stanley Kubrick's Shining now we're going to make my Shining so he did that and it wasn't very good now years later he's written a sequel to The Shining called Doctor Sleep um, and they have adapted that into a film of the novel Doctor Sleep, which is a direct sequel to the Stanley Kubrick movie The Shining, mm. which Stephen King wants nothing. It's a head fuck. It's just kind of like, how is that? Well, that's what cause it feels like. Because it's a direct sequel. They've used the carpet and all yeah. the iconography and all the imagery. Because the Warner Brothers are going to want to do that so they can sell. But it's also weird that they're making sequels to Stanley Kubrick films. Yes, yeah. Well, they did 2010, like, didn't they? Is, they what? They did 2010. Sure, but, I mean... I no, no, but it is. I mean, it is like... It's but like, that was based on a book. That was based on... I don't know. That was based on Isaac Asimov's book, wasn't it? Did he write 2001? 2001 is... Um, what's Arthur, Clark. Arthur C. Clarke. It's right. Arthur C. Clarke wrote another book called 2010. And it's not a sequel. It is a... I guess it's sort of... 
a sequel to the movie in terms of the fact that it's the follow-up book, but it's got. So has has King sort of disowned this new film and said, "Nah, I don't know on. anything oh, about okay. it." Oh, okay. Uh, 2010 doesn't feel like a Stanley Kubrick film. Right, it yeah, feels yeah. like a 1980s yeah. action thriller starring Roy Schneider. Right, mm. it's not like it's not like they've tried to go for the same thing. But with this, they've kind of like taken exact references from the Stanley Kubrick yeah, movie yeah. and put it in the thing, and you go. How is that? How is I? I can understand them making a book that's got nothing to do, you know, adapting a book that's got nothing to do with the film. I don't understand how they've adapted a book by an author who hated that film, who is still alive, and then turned that. I can understand why they want to link it, but then it's also kind of like, isn't aren't more people outraged that they've done a sequel to the Stanley Kubrick movie? Well, I think that again, it just feels like it feels like yeah, very odd choice because you're making something which is. I can understand Warner Brothers going, oh, I'd love to have another Shining we can we can do. But equally, I know that um, if it's just going to be a thing where you're making a Stephen King adaptation, that King's going to be like, well, I don't, I'm not into this. It just seems like kind of pointless. I don't understand how anyone can come out of this happy. Mind you, like equally, as soon as that book came out or was talked about, you think, oh, well, that'll get optioned. Because it's, you know, it's a maybe he doesn't care a sequel to a very iconic film. Maybe it's just all about the money and and everything. And also, it's not going to be like a Stanley Kubrick film, is it? In practice, no. Because well, when it comes out, it's not going to be have anything like the sort of atmosphere of The Shining because it's going to be a modern um, sort of horror movie, isn't it? It's not going to it's not going to feel like The Shining. Yeah, it's just going to have the carpet. Yeah, and if they wanted to do that, they should probably have. You know, made a very different type of film. I just, I, I just think everything about it is kind of like baffling. But anyway, the thing is, kind of got like people, people like chase sequences where the um, where the, uh, the 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 crew, um, the scientists, are getting chased down a corridor by a big monster, and you see it all. And then you see uh, two guys in the snow, and one guy goes off. Uh, and in the original, what would happen is uh, the next time they appeared, they'd be acting maybe different or there'd be a suspicion as to um, why... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. As to, uh, or they'd find some torn clothing and go, well, maybe you're the... But with this, it's kind of like a guy goes up, two guys in the snow, one of them walks off and then gets picked off by the alien and you see it and you go, oh, well, there's nothing left to, to the imagination yeah. there. And then their answer to the blood testing scene is that they check everyone's teeth for fillings because the alien can't replicate filling uh, like things that aren't. And it's like I don't have any fillings. As a, as as me Nick Helm, I don't yeah. have any fillings. So you're going to check my teeth for fillings, and then if I don't have any fillings, that means that I'm the thing. Well, that's kind of what they should do in the film. I don't know if they did. Where there's people they who are going, no, I haven't got fillings. Nobody says that they haven't got fillings. That's silly. To be fair, nobody says that they have fillings. Everyone just like, starts going like opening their mouths, and people are really like, "Uh oh, I'm opening my mouth, and they're going to see that I haven't got fillings." And they go, "No, you've got fillings." And you go, "Oh, good." It's like, well, you knew you had fillings, so what? Are you why are you acting all nervous? To be fair, she says uh, Elizabeth Winstead says. Um, uh, it's not perfect, but it, it just gives us an idea. And you go, sure. But So I don't think it's a rubbish film. I just thought it was kind of like this film where you go, um, they've obviously gone, it's like a Jaws 2 kind of situation where, well, we, we've seen the shark now, so you might as well show the shark. 
Yeah. So, sort of like that sort of thing. But um, I've, I've put off watching it for years and it was actually really good. No, I, I'm, I'm always like, it's always something that I've got uh, on reserve. Like, I'm, like I'm, I'm up for watching it. Did I'm I just say it was really good? Yeah. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I said I put off watching it for years, but it actually, it was really good. Yeah. I, no, it wasn't. It wasn't really good, but it wasn't bad. It was fine. Yeah, it was absolutely fine. It wasn't sacrilegious. Uh, and you, and you, you, I think that there probably was a good film in there at one point where they could have made it. Well, I think the the, the thing that they were never going to do that people imagined when people were going, oh yeah, apparently they're going to do it's it's a prequel and it's the Norwegian uh, base, so it's all going to be subtitled. And you think it ain't. Do you know what I mean? There was no way that film was ever coming out. Yeah. That they were going to do a sort of subtitled uh, yeah. a film that's totally a Norwegian, but basically uh, a foreign language thing movie. Yeah. And that's how they were talking about it. Like, So that's what that's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. And it's like, they're not making that. Yeah. They never were. No, but also, um, how, how different is that story going to be? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, in actual fact, the beats of it are different. And the story is different, but it's still set in a Norwegian science base. It was still set in a science base at the Antarctic. So the sets all look the same. They all get picked off one by one. So the plot is, you know, in its nature, the story and the plot and the setting are pretty much identical to the original because how different is it going to be? Mm. The only difference is that they discover the thing, you see the spaceship, and then... Uh, the alien comes along and is like right in front of them starts killing them each you know so it's not kind of like they're like going who is it who could it be one of us is already the thing and it's kind of like yeah but then also you're getting killed in front of each other um, so you, you you can eliminate quite a lot of them quite quickly go, well yeah you are you're, you're, <laughs> you're an alien you're an alien um, yeah it was interesting interesting uh, an oddity mm. but it was never going to be successful I don't think right then there you go I've got something to, I'm going to save that for next week um, so let's play a song and then let's meet our guest well. uh, what song is it uh, Brian Eno Radio. Um, we're back. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, we're joined now in the studio by. Um, okay, so uh, how? What do you do? I'm a comedian and theatre maker. Comedian and theatre maker, uh, Will Jackson, um, and you have currently got a show called uh, Your Sincerely. Uh, which is going to be at the assembly? Which is in the assembly because this is August. This is August. We're in August. This We're is, in August. This is live. So this is this is live, We're, and you're at the assembly <laughs> rooms uh, every day, first uh, to twenty fourth of August at um, so eight pm. I have Will Jackson. I've said his, I said his name. Don't <laughs> don't not listen and then order me about <laughs> and tell me to do things I've already done. Um, Will Jackson has got a show that you've written yeah. called Yours Sincerely, uh, and it's about uh, the fact that. Um, am I allowed to say what's on the press release? Which yeah, is yeah, a spoiler. Yeah. No, it's no, that's it's all good on the press. You accidentally stole three hundred second. Accidentally stole. Can you accidentally steal anything? 
You can accidentally steal 300 okay. second class. I did not go in with okay. the intention, intention, criminal intention. intention to steal 300 second class stamps. Okay. I don't think anyone begins their day thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to steal 300 second class stamps. But it happened. I'm here. I've got a shot out of it. Um, it's pretty so, when it happens, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I'm a fan of letter writing. That's come about from the stamps. Sure. Um, and that's what the show's about. It follows different correspondences that took place uh, through the letters that I sent and the hijinks that happened and got on with and through the letters. So, it's is it a thing about uh, old communication and re, uh, re-establishing that kind of uh, communication of the past and how that's gone but we're trying to bring it back yeah absolutely and like I'm quite a young person um, how old I turn 20 I'm 24 you're 24 you are young that's young that's young oh my god that is how old are you guys like 27 28 thank you that's very kind you are 16 years younger than Nathaniel yeah a whole person old enough to have sex yeah wow younger than Nathaniel and uh uh, the person isn't old enough to have sex between me and you. No. Fantastic. Um, they're, they're let's be, not. They'd be let's, underage. Let's none of us have sex with the person between you and Nick Helm's age. Yeah. That's that'd be a bad idea. <gasps> Good plan. Good plan. Let's not do that. Glad we all came to an agreement there. <laughs> they'd be fourteen. I've done the maths. A fourteen-year-old. Still two years. But I think it's interesting because it's a one-man show. Yeah. Um, and also, just as a young person, letter writing, like, we're all glued to our phones. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't really remember a time when communicating wasn't done for a thing. I remember landlines, but that's about it. And sure. so stumbling across letter writing was quite a neat kind of sitting down, spending some time, focusing on what you want to say to that person. When did this happen to you? 2017. 2017. Two years ago. Yeah. Mm. I've just graduated uni. <laughs> I'm quite good at maths. Stuff. Yeah, look at you. Look <laughs> yeah. at you go. Doing all the maths today. And so what are you finding? Because it feels like a very different discipline writing a letter, right? Yeah. And are you putting things in? Do you feel like... Because I think now even if you write a, a birthday card, once you've written happy birthday, you go, I mean, I'll give it to them in person yeah. and I'll talk to them. But if it's something going over distance, you can put that time into it. And I think also with letter writing at the moment, like up until I started this project, people only really send letters when they have to, like returning like a form or like mm-hmm. birthday cards. This is mm-hmm. a classic. Because um, my sister was great at always sending postcards, but I'd never know what to write on a postcard. Yeah. Mm. I'd get a postcard and I'd be, you know, and I just think it's just, I'm just writing for the sake of filling up space. No one wants to read that. But it's fun, you can have fun with it. So sometimes I didn't write them as myself. And I just, like I wrote to Cadbury's as a nine-year-old boy to get free chocolate, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. I wrote to Kettle Chips once. Hang yeah. on, I'll just make a note of this. <laughs> no, it, uh, this is the thing, If you are it? a cop, you do have to, you do have to say, right? That's, no? Okay. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, wrote, I wrote to Kettle Chips, and I just said, uh, uh, can you tell us about what makes uh, what's the difference between your crisps and uh, other varieties of crisps and then they didn't really write a letter in response but they sent me a box full of large bags of kettle chips 
Lovely. So I think that you sh- it's a thing, isn't it? If you yeah. write to people, then they send you. They don't know stuff. how. That's it, because I think letter writing is so uh, such a thing of the past now mm. that they don't actually know how to respond and just send crisps. Yeah, you know, I just have some crisps. I don't know. Like well, even if they cut all yeah. they just still send crisps back. <laughs> it's well, incredible. Also, handwriting as well. I did the preview yesterday. Obviously, midway through my Edinburgh run. Uh, <laughs> But I did, a, I did a preview last night, and someone, uh, my fr- Henry Packer, you know Henry Packer. Yes. He came to see me, and he gave me some notes and stuff. And um, uh, and I wrote them down, and what I normally do is I write my notes on my phone in the, uh, is it called notes, in the notes yeah. section? And then um, I'd, I wrote them in a notebook yesterday with, you know, with a pen. And the, my handwriting was just appalling, and my, yes, uh, yeah. and my hand got tired really quickly. Yeah. And it's just like a thing I'm so out of practice of, and it's a massive ball ache. And I, like, but like the writing is just horrible. I used to have really nice. Like, well, occasionally on like birthday cards and stuff, I'll get the good handwriting out. But um, yeah, it was just horrible. Did you guys have that in school? Did you have like handwriting classes? I know some yeah. people did. Mm. Yeah, did you not? No, you not had no, handwriting? Like, it was just Quite like early. all computer. Early. Was it like Minority Report when yeah. it was cool? It was all touch screens. <laughs> wow, really? Classes. So no, you weren't no. you weren't writing? <laughs> no, nah, we were writing. Okay, so. good because I'm terrified. Never like calligraphy or anything like that. But some people well, got we really didn't into used to that, do calligraphy. Yeah. I think calligraphy was before um, my time. No. <laughs> no, it was, it was all like um, you know big feathers when I was at school. What were scrolls like? <laughs> I still use a scroll. Nice. The first time you saw a biro, you thought it was witchcraft. Oh, yeah, yeah. We burnt the first... I mean, we found out later, and it's a shame. Yeah. But someone had to die. Biros were invented for the... uh Space? space space missions really so that they could write upside down and write wherever with gravity and then didn't someone point out why don't you use a pencil <laughs> yes yeah yeah yes that's right because that was apparently the US developed this pen so you could write it and the Russians were like oh we used pencils <laughs> and they were like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah, we didn't we didn't have handwriting classes, but we obviously there was a difference between when you're very little. There's a difference yeah. between like just writing the letters and then learning to yeah. join them. Up. Handwriting was definitely a thing, though. Yeah. Like it would be a thing yeah. you'd be marked down for if you had poor handwriting and very legible handwriting. Really? Yeah, that's what it's like in my day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how we used to live. <laughs> it's like a history lesson. Mm. Really? Do you know? Um, oh no, come I don't on. Think so. But I was oh, left-handed, so every time I... W- that's the other thing about... Um, what are you? Are you left-handed? Already? No, I'm right-handed. So I was left-handed. So, I so this is a sensitive subject for you. every birthday card. Oh, I just mate. smudged everything. I mean, that was another sign of witchcraft in my day. <laughs> left-handed people. You'd have gone with the byros. In the yeah. olden days, in the olden, olden days, before my... Because my, my mum's my amb- ambidextrous because she was left-handed, but it was beaten out of her because everyone had to be right-handed. Oh. That's insane. It's just we've really drifted off the point, aren't we? <laughs> no, we haven't. We don't go away. This is exactly on point. Well, it's left. It's is just uncomfortable because we're not talking left. about left is sinister, isn't it? Oh, in Latin, yeah. that's, oh, what it? That, that's what that word is. Sinister. And uh, it's uh, uh, cack-handed up north. <laughs> is what it is. Um, 
Okay, so tell us about your show. Is it, is it like a theatrical sort of show? Yeah, it's, it's a theatre show. Um, so it starts off you, with these letters, correspondences between friends, but like the magic of the letters comes to life. Um, the kind of climax of which is a letter to John Lewis, again from the same nine-year-old boy who got the Cadbury's deal, um, but pitching them a new Christmas advert. And so all these letters and envelopes come to life to create this magical world that he's describing so like we've got fish tanks there's fish tanks in this show about letters um so that's been fun and just finding stupid ways to stage all this stuff with just envelopes and parcels so it's like a set and yeah lighting yeah lighting and and but is it like monologues uh, like a one-man show it's just all the letters so all the text is just the letters that have been written oh wow i mean a lot of them have been condensed sure like and people put together details changed Sure, and is the character is a little boy character who writes these people is it a consistent character is it he's one that comes back there's Sam he's he's been a good friend to me uh, mainly just because people give more free stuff to little children as of opposed course. to well I was 22 when I stole the letters so I mm. think that'd have been less likely to have given it sure yeah sorry um, what was the longest letter that you wrote I wrote one to the NHS about uh, gay men not being able to donate blood right um, and how unfair it is that we don't get free orange squash and biscuits that's, what yeah because that's that's what you get for donating blood so that's discrimination right there absolutely I don't care about the blood no but like the orange squash and biscuits yeah. that's outrageous absolutely that yes. is just straight up and how long was that that was like a good page Right, but some of these were just sort of like quite short notes. No, quite short, but then it's quite fun because you've got the correspondences going on between. So like one of them in the show is between me and a housemate who only really talked to me through post-it notes. So I started to write back. So it's a whole sequence just going through these post-it notes. Right, to right, right. Um, And yeah. it's just coming up with different formats to like um, uh, package the different written correspondence. Yeah. Okay. What I'm interested in is when you're saying at the start, you say. You're a theatre maker and comedian. Yeah. How do you approach that? Do you think you approach things differently as you're thinking of a theatre maker? And um, what's the difference in your head between... Because what do you think about me and when Nick... When you say a comedian, you yeah. mean stand-up comedian? Yeah, I do bits of stand-up. I also do quite a bit of drag as well. So it's different. It's lots of different things. things. It's an easy way to just sum it up. It's sure. theatre maker and comedian. So I do a lot of directing freelance mm-hmm. and a lot of writing... And performing, so it's just a quite an easy way to. But in all my theatre stuff, comedy is a really important part of it. So it's just an easy way to. Sure. I just think there's something like because me and Nick make shows as well. Yeah, they're yeah. sort of stand-up shows, but I think we've both had things that have got vaguely theatrical element or yeah, put yeah. things you put in. And what's the distinction in your head before by saying this is a piece of theatre and not a stand-up show? Well, I mean, like it, in the Fringe Guide, it's it, in theatre. Yeah. So I think I think stand up is a form of theatre. You're talking to an yeah. audience, you're sharing a moment. It's magic. I think purely in terms of because I was really struggling between which category to put it in. Right, yeah. For me, I've got a big set, and if I want to tour it afterwards, it's going. I want to be in a theatre space because it's not all going to fit in a club. Right. Yes. So that's why it's theatre in the brochure for this. But then, Clever. Um, I can't remember where it was. Uh, yeah, in a preview, I was put down as comedy, but it was in a theatre space. But they put it down as a comedy show, like a sort of. Yeah. Along with like sketch and stand up, yeah, um, and you're quite happy for that as a oh, I'm versatile, I'm right. flexible. How with. does that work? Because I'm I I know that when when I used to do theatre, mm. um, 
I would do comedy shows and people would watch them in silence and <laughs> and I, I would do but they were they were under theatre so you'd get a theatre audience people and you'd, you'd perform them in a theatre and people would watch them in silence and go mm, mm. I remember the show that I'm doing this year uh, I Think You Stink I wrote a musical in 2008 yeah and we were in the theatre section and uh, we were in the Bedlam Theatre in Edinburgh and all our audiences came to see us and they would sit and watch it and they'd go, mm, mm. And then I think we did it again at the Canal Cafe and all the audiences sat and watched it. And, mm, mm. and then we did it in 2010 in a pub and that was when, like a couple of years later, and that was when I realised that it was a really funny show. Yeah. It was because you go, oh, I knew it was like this, but you're in front of a comedy audience in a pub and you're doing it on a stage and people are going mental for it and you just go, oh, I think that they're so different audiences. Even if it's jokes, you've got a joke here and then you do the same joke here in this setting, in this audience, you get a completely different reaction to it. And it is kind of like difficult to work out where you do what sometimes. I think. It's a tricky bet. you gotta, you got to make. And also I think times can work as well. So like... Like this, it's this kind of cross between a comedy show and a theatre show. So, but isn't in the theatre section, but it's on at eight o'clock mm-hmm. uh, assembly, which does have a lot of comedy mm-hmm. there. Um, so, but do you? So, do you? F- how do you, how do the reactions differ between uh, performing in front of uh, a theatre crowd in a theatre and then maybe going on a night with a sketch group? And yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think the comedy audience is more fun. They let their hair down. They go along with it a lot. That's more. all I wanted you yeah, to say. You yeah. won. It's I'll cool. Try. It's on the air. <laughs> yeah. uh, Have you got any advice? Uh, <laughs> no, that's not all I wanted you to say. <laughs> I want you to elaborate. Go on. So, well, yeah, I think it just in time. It's. Um, it's a it's a really weird one. This theatre comedy. I think it's totally because yeah. I think there's an ev- ridiculous as well. Yeah, it is ridiculous, and I think that uh, the flip side of that is I always I also think that people have quite a narrow idea of what stand up is. Mm. So I think the same as as you. I think the way we were just saying like basically, if you're talking to someone, it's stand up, yeah, yeah. and within that, you can be in character. You can be basically doing anything, yeah. but it's all stand up. And if it if it's almost, I don't think anyone should be that rigid about whether they say something is, oh, I'm a comedian because I'm doing this thing, yeah. I'm talking to an audience. I, I think the only difference is the audience. Yeah. And what their expectations are. Yes, I think because so. Because I think that stand-up, of course stand-up is theatre. Yeah. And, and I think that my stand-up is, uh, can be theatrical. And have lots of theatrical elements like costumes and set, and um, everyone's using projectors. They're the hot thing, and uh, and you know there's all these different elements to it that make it something other than a person on stage with a microphone. Uh, and that's but even a person on stage with a microphone is theatre. Yeah. Um, you're if you're doing like an issue based hour of stand up and it's taking someone on an emotional journey. Uh, You've got to replicate that every single day in order to get a specific reaction out of your audience, you know. But people still go into stand-up thinking, oh, it's just that person talking off the top of their head. They're just yeah. making mm. it up as they go. Um, uh, and th- and, and you, sometimes you can do um, a show in front of people and people start uh, chatting with you when you're on stage and you go, this is a monologue. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of... Um, yeah, and also we're all most comedians. I would say ninety nine percent of comedians are, are putting on a persona. Yeah. So it's a character, I, and um, 
it's not real life and also even to the point it's just kind of like people think that it's real they think it's just a person on stage talking and you go you've paid money uh you've got a seat and the ticket price the lights are pointing at the stage there's a microphone there's walking music what part of this feels like real life it's all um it's it, it's a fantasy it's, it's all a fantasy do yeah. you know what i mean it's all been generated specifically because it's a show do mm. you know what, this is a show um and the fact that people can't differentiate between that you, well there's two ways of looking at it there was one which is that when my agent said when she first started in the industry she went to see jack d uh and uh she saw jack d on like the first night and she thought oh my god he's incredible he just made all of that stuff up on stage and then the second night she saw him and he did exactly the same stuff and a lot of the time people go oh well it's it's just the same stuff but my agent was like, that's incredible. He makes it look like he's saying it for the first time every night. And that's like the theatrical part of it, yeah. I think. It's, it's a performance. It, you're meant to think that it's real. And you're meant to think that it's just being said for the first time, stand-up. Whereas theatre is kind of like considered a performance, isn't it? Do you ever get a snobbishness from either side? Yeah, I did a run at Vaults in February right. for a week, which was great. Who was snobby? Both sides. They were like, it's a comedy show. What are you doing in the theatre section? It's a theatre show. Don't put it in the comedy section. So it was a real tough one. I had different... People I know there's certainly stand-ups that have a kind of... That even when you do anything outside that has that, there's a bit of a, well, what I do is just man and mic, really. Yeah. And it's that sort of idea, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm just also, a man and mic. Also, uh, Hannah Gadsby, everyone was saying that that was more of a... Th- not everyone, but the argument was that um, it's not funny enough to be a comedy show. It's more of a theatre show. Yeah. I didn't see it. And I don't have an opinion. It was fab. It. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was but, great. But, there, but I just... I don't even think I was in Edinburgh... I must have done like one day. I think maybe that was the year mm. we were, I was filming. I think people, the but, but I heard there was all of that. Not yes, there was that, that was that and kind of discussion happening. Norm Macdonald was talking about it, and yes. you know, like it was like international, like comedians internationally were saying, "Well, it sounds like a one-woman show. It sounds like a theatre show. It sounds like a yeah." I bet I think that's a show where I, you know, I laughed in a way that when people were saying I don't think it's that funny I was like well maybe it's just not for you I laughed all the way through and I don't think it's just because it also has like sort of gut punching things it doesn't mean it just makes it to me it just makes it good stand up because it's got so much in it that you kind of want to feel something in it while you're laughing I mean I'd say the only thing in stand up that's different from theatre is at some point you know the intention is to make people laugh Yeah. That it, but apart from that I, I always think do anything you've got an hour fill it and with stand up anything that's got um, in the comedy section is just that the only deal is I will be trying to make you laugh yeah. <laughs> and whether that's successful or not but that's the only difference between that and anything really mm. like a- anything else and I-, I think there's a real anything goes uh, but I think that's really interesting that there's a kind of snobbishness about it or and categories are, categories are tough like in, especially in the fringe brochure and it's ridiculous because you're like how many are up this year 3,000 4,000 yeah. 6 yeah. billion 6 billion shows <laughs> going up to the fringe this year um, and you've got to find a way to just like separate them categorise them to make them just manageable Mm-hmm. Um, and like one of the categories is so like uh, I'm a queer performer my categories in LGBTQ and comedy those are my subcategories yeah. but then like and I'm glad it's there because then you know I've got other queer audiences interested in that work coming to watch it but why should that be why should a, it matter why should it matter and why yes, should it be a category yeah, yeah. even though whenever I spoke to everyone it's like oh it's got to be the queer thing not a solo show or new writing right 
So it's because you can only pick two. So it's why does it have to be? Um, it was just to attract the audiences and make sure it, they got that because it is a queer piece of work, and I am very proud of it being a very openly queer piece of work. Because it's a, it's, it's a double edged sword, is it? Because you yeah. also want that audience and you want people to see it. Yeah. But it's also it is it almost feels like it's slightly kind of belittling or Absolutely. saying, and, or, or, and, it, and you also worry that it might exclude people. Yeah. Where it's like the idea, it's like, but surely all of this is for everyone. Exactly. It's like saying. Uh, you might not want to see this comedian because he's Brazilian. <laughs> it's like saying something like that, isn't it? By mm. going, oh, I don't, I don't want to see a Brazilian comedian. Or mm. it's just like a weird. Whereas I guess it's, I mean, I guess that's the thing now, isn't it? Where I think that's something that's changed in my generation. Where something like, especially kind of like queer performance, mm. is now part of an identity. Yeah. So it's saying oh, it's I am queer, now, so yeah. I want to be, I want to say that that's part of the show. Whereas I think. Um, and that seems to be that um, the way you'd perceive yourself or promote yourself is to say that, well, I am queer in this instance. So it'd be, whereas I think 10, 15 years ago, the idea was much more that, what's it matter? Yeah. So it feels like that's something that's changed in the culture as well, where it's actually uh, sort of become an empowering thing to sort of say, that's my identity. So I want to say this is who I am. Whereas it feels like that's changed from 10 years ago when the attitude was very much like, well, who cares? It's such a small yeah. part of my life or whatever. It doesn't mean anything. But I guess that's it. It's got a double-edged sword of you both want to promote it to that audience yeah. and to not exclude people. And it is like it's got lots of lips and cabaret in it mixed up with the storytelling of the letters. So it is it does fall under that kind of queer performance. Um and like I know if I was 14 I'd have loved to have seen a show like that you know what I mean so I'm glad it's there but then it is it's tricky it's and mm. I think we're all still kind of figuring it out in terms of the and I guess you don't it does know seem yet weird. yeah it, it does seem weird to put it in that category because I mean I do think that that will end up excluding people you know where where people will think well if I'm not if I'm not gay then this show isn't for me um, oh, I hope not. I mean, I'm not. I know that's yeah. not what the show is, but if you weren't in that category at all, and then people came and saw it, and then it was, uh, I suppose, yeah, exactly. You're in that. You're in that place where, like you say. Well, then if I don't pick it, am I going to come saying, well, I don't want to embrace this? Idea of course, of yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. There's this sort of. It's a real tricky thing. Yeah, and yeah. Then, but no, also, it is. you'd hope that no one would say, oh, I don't want to see it. In the same way that, like, obviously, it's so stupid to compare all these different things. But in the same way, people would be like, oh, I've seen a female stand-up comedian today. I don't want to see another. Yeah, that's what yeah, people yeah. do. Yeah. Though. I know it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm not talking about. I mean, I'm talking about general public uh, <laughs> are they here I, I told not. you not to they're invite not, them well they're not, not hopefully they're not listening to this show not, obviously not my fans my fans are very broad minded and, uh, <laughs> and with large hearts and uh, larger wallets but uh, my audiences are, my audiences are great but I'm not talking about them but I am talking about members of the general public who, you know, do say stuff like, um, oh, I've already seen a female comedian today, I'm not going to go, you know, you just don't go. But I guess this is all part of the same thing we were just talking about, about whether you might get people that would like to see it as, as something where they'd imagine like, well, I love, I go to Edinburgh to see comedy, so I'm not yeah. going to go to a theatre piece. But, and there's that sort of thing as well, where it's... But, and, but also, you'd also you, you, it's, it's impossible, because yeah, you do, you also want to, you don't want to not say... 
that um, it's queer theatre in in terms of the fact that because it is queer theatre, it, it is. Yeah, but also you don't want to kind of like say that it's not because you're kind of trying to kind of like hijack an audience that wouldn't normally and go like you might like it if you give it a try. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like it's you can't. Can't, you can't can't win. It's, yeah, yeah so just go home. Yeah. <laughs> my, my teacher came to see me. I did a show in 2007, and we were onto the comedy section. It was, uh, but it was a theatre show. It was right. called Bad Things Happen in Trees, and it was a theatrical show. It was like a collection of poems and songs and monologues. Did you say um, that was in the theatre section? Put it, uh, the no, we put it in. The, we put, oh, okay, good. We put it, we put it, in, the, we put it in the comedy section. Yeah. But it, no, it wasn't called Bad Things Happen in Trees. It was called, sorry, A Third of the Way Done. And it was a collection of poetry, 2007, poetry, uh, monologues and uh, songs. And my drama teacher came to see it. And uh, it was quite a quiet night. And we did it in a theatre. And we, ne- we didn't really get... I think if we'd, have, if we'd have done it in a pub or something like that, yeah. it would have been very different. But we did it in a th- And my teacher came up to me and goes, it was... It was, it was fine Nick but why oh, why did you put yourself in the comedy section <laughs> you go fucking hell you don't care she didn't like me basically she didn't like me or what I did or the direction I'd gone in but like um, well it was nice of her to come and pay the ticket <laughs> the thing is there was another teacher that used to come with her and she was, uh, was yeah she was my history teacher um, called Miss Adams and she didn't really like me at school, I think. Um, what did he do? Oh, uh, she, well, she was a history teacher, and there would be stuff like uh, we'd look at the JFK um, assassination, and one of the things was uh, like when the car was driving just before he got shot. The car was driving very slowly, right? It was driving at like six miles an hour, mm. and just as he got shot, the car slowed down to like uh, four miles an hour. Well, it was something like that, right? And I was just like, I felt like uh, Jim Garrison. I felt like <laughs> I, had, I, had cracked, I had cracked it. And I was just like, whoa, 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 miss. Uh, I was like 14. Whoa, 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 miss. Uh, it says here that the car that was driving JFK slowed down two miles an hour uh, just when JFK got shot. I reckon the driver was in on it. And she said, do you drive, Nick? And I was like, no, of course not. I'm 14. She goes, obviously you don't know much about driving because uh, slowing down by a couple of miles an hour isn't such a big deal if you're a driver. And I was like, sure. If you're driving 75 miles an hour and then slowing down 73 miles an hour, that's not a big deal. But if you're traveling at five miles an hour and you travel and you slow down to three miles an hour, that's almost 50%, you've, you've almost halved your speed. So I think, that is a, I think that is a big deal. And so she didn't really, uh, there, was an, uh, there was something else that happened where, but basically, uh, as a student and then when I left school she used to come and see my shows every year and uh, she uh, was just really incredibly supportive it's weird that my drama teacher was the one that used to always sort of like criticise my shows and go like have you ever thought about doing something with a bit more of a narrative you know it'd be like stuff like that and you'd go just this is what I, this is all I've got <laughs> this is what I've done <laughs> this is what I've done this year and uh, so but yeah anyway would you fringe uh, veterans have any advice for a first time this year's festival just is you it your first time doing a show so it's my first time doing a solo, a solo show. show don't oh, okay. put yourself in the comedy section whatever you do yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what advice do you want anything anything like 
Shoulda, woulda, coulda. You're doing the whole month? Yep. Uh, I'm doing the whole month. I'm doing two shows this year. Uh, don't ever do two shows. Okay. It's too much work. Um, <laughs> not necessarily why you're up there, but in advance. I'm I could give you some there. advice, which I think is good advice, but I think you'd also, in in your life, be good to ignore it. Yeah. So I'd be saying, I'd really try and get to bed early and things. Yeah. And I think that's kind of important. Pace yourself. You can stay out all night, but give yourself a week where you're concentrating entirely on the show and get it up and running, get it on its feet. Uh, look after yourself. And then when you get to about, like, just as you're getting up to the halfway point, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. And accept it for a show and accept the experience. Be nice to everyone, because everyone's going, going through a tough time. Some people are having good, good experiences and some people are having horrible experiences. So just be nice to everyone. There's a really good place uh, that was just on Coburn Street at the bottom of the Royal Mile that does amazing uh, baked potatoes and also soup of the day is always good there. Little fact about... Uh, there's loads of Mexican restaurants, if you like Mexican food, and uh, there's Mexican restaurants in Edinburgh, which is weird. Do you know why there's loads of Mexican restaurants in Edinburgh? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you why there's loads of Mexican restaurants in Edinburgh. Because in 1986, Scotland got to the World Cup finals in Mexico and all of the Scottish people went over to Mexico to support them and liked the food so much that when they came back to Scotland they opened up Mexican restaurants. That's amazing. Isn't that yeah. crazy? That That's is. awesome. Um, you know this stuff already. But, but, you know, <laughs> you know stuff. all this yeah. stuff. You know, you've done Edinburgh, you've been up in Edinburgh before. Yep. It's just like, it's. But, um, I think it's, it's getting things into perspective. Yeah. I've had good reviews and I've had bad reviews. And it, like the year I got nominated for the Foster's Awards, and I got like five star reviews and stuff like that. I got I was very ill. I had to go to bed at like uh, six o'clock every night, directly after my show. I was very feeble for about a fortnight. I had so I think I probably had bronchitis. I was so ill, and uh, and I didn't enjoy it at all. And then the year I got a one star review, I was out every night and I was uh, <laughs> partying and just in, in, enjoying myself. And so. You're at a perfect age as well. Yeah, if you're you probably young enough to recover from and, things. And if you <laughs> and if you found it, if you sort of feel like you do, you feel like you found your voice. Yeah. Then that's great. I was still sort of like it's, it's right. It's here. just there. Just <laughs> can you feel it? Yeah. Just. I was 29 or 28 when I sort of like started beginning to find my voice in stand-up, and I'd been writing theatre since I was 20, and taking that up to Edinburgh. So I just think that you're exactly the right age to enjoy Edinburgh and just to be oh, I envy you eat some uh, fruit and veg yeah fruit and veg keep healthy thanks mum yeah but that is the best like yeah, it, that, that is, is actually so so like true. if it, that would be the thing that because sometimes you go I feel awful and then you go God, what have I eaten for the last week or something it would yeah. just be because it's always just food you're always out so you're never back in your flat doing which I always like it feels like if you can live centrally you can kind of go back and eat normal things whereas actually you end up going oh, i'll just get a curry from this place or i'll just have something I and then you realize i never used to eat i used to use edinburgh as my way of losing all my weight from christmas <laughs> just drinking i just like a drink and then maybe i'd have a sandwich at four o'clock in the morning i'd have like a, a blt sandwich at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning I remember when i met my girlfriend 10 years ago uh she used to feed me a BLT sandwich when I, I was dead on my feet. I'd been, I'd do two shows. We stood up. 
Like, yeah, basically, I'd be just like taking my shoes off at the end of the night, and she'd feed, force feed me a BLT. Like if that's what you're into, man. That's that's cool when you're into it. It's, uh, it's erotic, um, but uh, nothing like bacon. Um, but yeah, so it was. Oh God, I fucking it was great. I remember one year, I was so poor, couldn't afford food. I love it. It starts off. It was so great. <laughs> It was brilliant. I, in many ways, I loved those. Yeah. The best. I was so poor, I couldn't afford clothes, right? And I could just, I would buy myself, I'd scrape together enough money to have, I think it was 2008, so, and I'd scrape together enough money to buy half, you know, a, a Subway sandwich. Yep. And I would eat that, that would be my treat of the day. And then I would be on my feet, I was doing about three or four shows a day. And um, I lost so much weight that my jeans kept falling down in the street <laughs> and I couldn't afford a belt and uh, we were at a gig and we were backstage at a gig and they saw that they had some string so I made myself some string braces I tied them around the middle belt loop at the back and then the left one and the right one at the front and I made these string braces I put my shirt over and um, <laughs> if I put anything in my pockets too heavy it would cut into my shoulders and uh, but you oh were such a trendsetter because it was tw- 2009 that's when Gucci let out that line of string braces oh, right? Really? yeah 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 oh, really? that was, that was, that was, two, was 2008 so, so they would have seen it you invented it it was wow, uh, but it was icon. but I was doing like four shows a day and we were running from gig to gig <laughs> and I mean it was like literally the time of my life just thinking Hard oh my god and it wasn't like a, it wasn't there was no publicity there was no PR I had no name for myself I just started doing stand up and I was just doing it because I loved it yeah and that was and I my maybe my advice is never lose sight of why you're doing it do it for yourself do it because you love it and then anything else that happens like success or reviews or any like attention all of that is a bonus because if you do it because you love it then it doesn't matter about what anything else that's my advice um I realise that you're our guest and you haven't spoken (laughs) but I am going to play a song now and then I'm going to talk to you about something else I cut the ending off, I'm sorry. Uh, um, I would never do that, but that was a fucking long song. Um, uh, right, okay, so um, uh, what, what are we going to talk so about? That, so that is both, is that both a favourite song and tied with the uh, Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the opening number of the show. Lip sync it with an envelope. One of oh. my best on stage partners. Brilliant. Great chemistry. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so I, I noticed when you talk about things you're a fan of, you are a fan of letter writing. So is it something that's kept up even, uh, even yeah. beyond the show? So I've kept it up going, it's good. You say in your grand's good books, that's a really good way to, yeah. to keep there. My, um, sis, my, my sister sent off a postcard to my nan. And I, oh, I tried a couple of times and it was just like my heart wasn't in it. And the hands started mm. hurting. Uh, I feel like if I was to receive a long letter... I'd feel like I'd feel like I'd have to try and respond, but I wouldn't really have a lot to say. So you do you send things, things and then not get responses. Yeah, and that's fine. I think you've, it's, you've got to go up and go into it thinking it's all right. I'm not going to get anything out of this, but it's a little okay. into either brighten someone's day or just having a bit of fun with it. Um, okay. It's the key. Yeah, it's fun. 
I'm trying to think who else, who else I've written to that's fun to talk about. I wrote to a couple of ex-boyfriends that went down well sometimes, did not go well down some other times. Oh, so it did go well sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And but actually were work? building bridges? Yeah. But were you always building bridges or were you assigning blame? No, I was always assigning, I was always trying to... You did it. You did it. You ruined it. <laughs> it's all your fault. Also, I need my top back. Bye. <laughs> um, um, but what, why did it not go well? No, they just wouldn't respond and then think, well, uh, why do you send me a letter? That's weird, which it is a bit weird. Do you know that that's what they thought? Nah, but you think you get inside your head. Yeah, but you can't, you nah. can't invent a worst case scenario no. and live by it. I would imagine it would suggest to like, oh, well, they're in love with me still. Yeah. If you'd received a letter, a yeah. handwritten letter. I think they sniffed onto the fact I was probably trying to make a shout out of it. Um, <laughs> is that why you were doing that? Yeah, it's good. good you, I was going to say this for Friday. Uh, have you ever seen the show Nathan for You? No, is it good? Uh, yeah, have you ever seen it? I've seen it once because I think I went for an audition to do a, a UK version of it. Right. How'd it go? I, I turned up for it, couldn't remember what the word audition meant, and said, Hi, I'm here for one of those things. You know the job interviews that actors do. I described it as. <laughs> the rest of it went really well. Oh, good. Did it? Yeah. The person on the door wouldn't have been the person that no. had the decision. They I couldn't like, remember is, the word audition. This guy's perfect. This guy's perfect. We should definitely cook him. Uh, what was his name? What Nathaniel? Uh, he doesn't know the word audition. Ah. Oh. <laughs> well, we're probably. Well, we'll just keep looking then, I suppose. Uh, um, well, I'll talk about it another time because it's quite... But if no one's watched that show, then it's fine. Um, uh, God, what were we talking about in, during the music? Edinburgh. We're talking about... Edinburgh, that's yeah. right. Yes. Um, so, uh, what, so what have you done in the past? So I went up with a student improv show. We did like a long-form improviser movie thing. Where did you go to university? Birmingham. Birmingham? Yeah. Oh, all right then. Um... I like Birmingham. Yeah, I've toured, I've gigged in Birmingham. Whereabouts are you gig? Um, I cannot remember. Fair. I'm having, I'm, <laughs> having, I'm having an audition moment where I'm now getting it confused. I with think the, it's called a job interview for actors. The, the, Man, the Manchester Dance House and the Wardrobe in Leeds, and I, I can't remember where I did. Probably Leeds. Oh, I gigged in a theatre in Birmingham. It was the, the Alex. Yeah, maybe it was or the, the old rep. Oh, the old rep. It was the old yeah. rep, and we. Um, is that kind of like a modern? The thing is, it's a, it's a theatre space, but it's the, the space is so small that really it's best for stand up. That's why so much stand up goes there. Well, it's quite a big theatre. Or was it was, was it Birmingham Rep rather than Old Rep? Or maybe it's Birmingham Rep. Yeah. It was quite a modern theatre. Yeah, it would be Birmingham Rep. So that, yeah. we, the, the, I think it was the first gig, first night of the tour, and two men fainted during my show. That good? It was. I mean, it was hardcore. It was just very graphic, and two guys fainted. And, I, and it was the first night of the tour, and it was just like, I'm on to a winner here. Yeah. I'm not, not going to put that on. I, mean, I was worried about them, but I'm not, not going to put that on the poster. Brilliant. Going back to the differences between being a theatre maker and yes. a comedian. Yes. Is it also, for things like funding, is it easier to say, I, it's a piece of theatre? Yeah, so like Birmingham Rep originally produced Your Sincerely. So I got a lot of support, got a director, I got someone to help with the movement and stuff. So it was a lot of support in there. And it's a lot easier to structure it in that way and have a nice little package. And it's going on a nice little rural tour next year in 2020, going right, to right. Oh, so village halls and libraries and stuff. And it's a lot easier to advertise it as, once they see the set and everything, as a piece of theatre. Yes. But then it's quite a bit of soft theatre, if you know what I mean, because it's basically 
I'm, I mean, it's just reading the letters, but it's essentially kind of stand up. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a performance. I yeah. always think that. I always think that, so that stand up. It's a one man show. Yeah. Are missing a trick in that way. I always think, why can't we get funding for. It's the sort of thing Daniel <laughs> yeah, Kitson does. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he'll say it's theatre and it's him doing sort of like. Although I've seen his theatre shows and it is very theatrical. Yeah. It's like a. The intention, you can laugh along the way, but the sole intention isn't to make you laugh. So this show is also on tour? Yeah, it's on tour next year. Cannot remember the dates, but why don't you, if you're in Edinburgh, come along to Edinburgh? <laughs> oh, sure, if you're in yeah. Edinburgh. Have you got your flyers made yet? No, I need to get those. You should put tour information on the back of your flyers. Yeah. So that you can kind of like go, this is it in Edinburgh, and then it's on tour here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did find that interesting. It's kind of like if you see theatre, and even if it's not 100% successful, you can still go out and talk about it afterwards and kind of like go, why that worked, why the, that didn't work, why that was a miscasting, or why that yeah. actor kind of threw everything off. You know, and so even sort of not bad theatre, but unsuccessful theatre, and including bad theatre, but there's something more to be got out of that than um, uh, that was a success or that was... A, but with comedy, it's just like if it's funny, it, it works, and if it's not, then it's rubbish. It's kind of like it's mm. brutal. But then with comedy as well, if you then add all these kind of theatrics to it, but call it a comedy, people lose their shit. They're like, he's got a puppet, he's got this, mm. yeah. Well, no, it's, uh, the same is uh, I used to do stuff. Uh, with like smoke machines and yeah. lighting and that is they go fucking hell never seen anything like this and yeah. you go well you obviously haven't seen Def Leppard before <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean it's kind of like it's literally just taking stuff from all these gigs that yeah. I've seen yeah. and putting them in a small in a ni- different context in a smaller scale yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden it becomes a comedy show because you're trying to do something that's above your means and uh, you know it, I just always think that if you if you take an element like theatricalness yeah. or um, well, the theatrics from like uh, live music, even as well. tech, just tech yeah. in itself, uh, and you just add sort of like another element, it just elevates it. I don't mean to do this as a, it sounds like I'm being uh, mean, but I, in fact, I won't even say who it is, but it, it, it's not meant to be mean anyway. But like, I, I read a review of a, a, a quite well known comedian who was in Edinburgh who started one of his shows, sat in the audience, and so the show starts and he's talking and he's going, Where is he? Where is he? And he gets up and starts going, Excuse me, excuse me. And it was, and what it was, and I think from his point of view as well, it was just another gag because yeah. he's in the audience. But the reviews of well, it were like Mark Watson does a lot of times. <laughs> so he's always thinking of something different, isn't he? But then, but then the reviews for it were like but people lost their blew, blew their mind about it and were like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> it was almost like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And he was like, "I mean, it was a joke." <laughs> But like it's that kind of like that's a very a theatrical breaking like, device. the boundaries. Yeah. And it was it was described like this guy's basically he's blown everyone's mind. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I saw that. I just thought that was a joke. <laughs> I thought that was a joke that he's like, you're going, where is he? And then he's like, oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. And he's got to make his way to the stage. And it's like, yeah, that's what I think it was. But it was sort of perceived as this great kind of theatrical wall breaking. But maybe of- for some people it was like, a, I've never seen that sort of thing before yeah. in my life. Ah. But so, it is mad that yeah. they're at the Edinburgh Festival and they're, you know, they should see other things there as well. Yeah. <laughs> they should have some sort of idea of what, what other people are doing. If only so they don't repeat it or rip it off. Yeah, <laughs> but, they're, but they're seeing so many comedy shows. 
We're yes. seeing so many people standing with a microphone in a black box that as soon as you do anything different, it's just kind of like, oh my God, you know. Um, and also, I did a, I, I'd, I'd had a preview the night before and I'd got writing on my hand from my preview and I had an interview with someone and they said, uh, oh, like, um, uh, that's what Stuart Lee does, isn't it? And I was like, what? What, right on your hand? Right, right on it, right on your hand. Yeah, you trademarked that. So, Stuart Lee, you just go, Stuart Lee does write, I don't know one comedian that doesn't write <laughs> on their hand. Stuart Lee doesn't own writing on your hand. Do you know what you uh, he probably do? does it for the same reason does, everyone else I've does. I've been paying him royalties for months. That's fucking <laughs> crazy. It's pe people see, and I, yeah, anyway, I was just thinking about introducing yourself off stage. Right, that's a nice hint, isn't it, that we've got to do the game now. We've got to play oh, a game We've now. actually worked out that we can do it in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Right, this is a game, it's called Better or Worse, and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my own opinion. <laughs> okay, beginning with Samuel L. Jackson. Kim Cattrall, is Kim Cattrall better or worse than Samuel L. Jackson? Um, worse. Yeah, maybe worse. Is Kim Wilde better or worse than Kim Cattrall? Better. Better, better. better, better yes. Kim Cattrall is fairly low in your opinions, yeah? She's done no, Police she's Academy, right. Mannequin, and Sex and the City, and that's it. I don't mind Kim Cattrall, it's all right. Uh, Kim Bassinger, better or worse than Kim Wilde? Just Kim Bassinger. What? Uh, this is not a good day. <laughs> uh, she was uh, a very uh, important uh, glamour and sex symbol uh, from the 1950s. Okay. <laughs> no, from uh, 1980s. Well. 1980s. She's in Batman. Okay. My stepmother is an alien. LA Confidential and Cell. <laughs> well, I'll say better. Nine, nine and a half weeks, of course. Do you know what? I'd say worse than worse Kim Wilde. Kim Wilde's a high card. Okay. Is Oscar Isaac better or worse than Kim Bassinger? Better. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I know. Kim Bassinger. No, I don't know. I might say worse. One. Is Isaac Hayes better or worse than Oscar Isaac? Worse. Worse. He's better. Okay. Isaac Hayes? Better than... Yeah. He's a Scientologist. He's an evil Scientologist. Oh, then worse, worse. Well, I don't know. No. Well, Is he a Scientologist? Is that a thing? That, that's why he left South Park. Was it? And then they made Chef uh, a paedophile <laughs> and killed him. <laughs> okay. Mate, well... Let's say, let's say... In fact, he still did the theme from Shaft, though, didn't he? He did. So I'll still say better. You can say he's a high card. He's a high card. Nicholas Cage, better or worse than Isaac Hayes? This, this is never this crazy. Better. Better. Better, yes. Nicholas Lindhurst, better or worse than Nicholas Cage? Better. Oh, it's tough, isn't it? It's based on your opinion. Lind Lindhurst you is better. No, you, I think Lindhurst is worse than Cage, but he's a high card. He's not, Nick Nolte, better or worse than Nick Lindhurst? Um, I mean, he's yeah, it's the same. I would say, I would say better. better, better. I'd say worse. Okay, oh, wow. Nick Helm, better or worse than Nick Nolte? Better, better. Just because yeah, right, he's better. Oh better. my god, better. That's just not fair. Um, and I would never normally. No, you are better than Nick Nolte. Am I? I wasn't yeah. in Three Fugitives. I tell you that. <laughs> um, you got five. All right, that is. Uh, you're the lowest this season so far. Oh dear. But I would say that I have not ever uh, seen one that's that's more unpredictable than that yeah well that's yeah. good isn't it is that good to six. be fair it's I had six. to come up with them on the tube 
and as well, this I'm morning. really proud of you. Thank you. People was, to compare. I'm the real people victim. Never met. It That's was a really, <laughs> really wholesome activity. It was, but it was crazy because especially with Nicholas Lindhurst because you don't know where you're going to yeah. go on that. Where sure. Because because it's based on Nat's opinion. Oh, yeah, that's what I struggled with. I, I mean, like, of course. Yeah. And do you know what? If the game is anything, it's pointless. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not. Oh. That, that, that's on, well, that's on telly. Pointless is on telly. <laughs> I've made. <laughs> I've made myself some grandma dresses. <laughs> uh, a prescription. Uh, That's beautiful. Out of uh, the, uh, the the key ring coil <laughs> from a bottle opener from before Bo- before we have Bo- to go. <laughs> please go and see Yours Sincerely by Will Jackson at the Assembly Rooms in Edinburgh. Eight o'clock. See Eight o'clock. It's got every night from now on. Uh, it's already August and it's already on. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, and we will end. Excellent guest. Yeah. We will end with. Uh, I think this is your favourite song, Matt. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm a scat man. You've been listening to a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com.